All right, let's get started this morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll start with the green sheet, then we'll move on to announcements, and I'll say, say a few things, give a rundown of the Youth Week at Higher Things um, when we get to that, when we get to that portion of our, of our, of our morning. Uh, so we'll start with the green sheets. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, so this week you get to read from three epistles, uh, starting uh, with the final chapter of Ephesians, final greetings, further instructions, etc. Uh, you get to read the whole book of Philippians this week, Philippians having only four chapters. Uh, we'll will be finished by, by Thursday, and then uh, the first two chapters of Colossians, and through especially Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, um, and even into the, the letters to the Thessalonians, you'll notice, you'll notice a lot of overlapping material. Um, um, Paul, Paul's addressing a lot of the same sort of issues, because one of, I mean, the, the, one of the main issues that's pervasive across the churches is how are Jews and Gentiles going to get along um, under one church, in one body, um, and that's and that's uh, probably more uh, more of a challenge for the Jews than the Gentiles. Um, but that so he's going to have a lot of things right, which is why which is why he hammers baptism so so incessantly, right? Uh, uh, the question is not whether or not circumcised; rather, you were all baptized, and baptism is into Christ. And so if you have been made part of Christ, then you are all one body. Uh, so get over it, right? Uh, that's kind of the, uh, kind of, uh, the, uh, the gist there. And then, of course, in most of these epistles, he also has to encourage those who are suffering, right? Because physical suffering for the faith is um, not guaranteed, but, but uh, probably a, better, a better, better chance that it happens than not, right? So, uh, so you get that beautiful... Um, that beautiful section in Philippians, Paul in Philippians, end of one, beginning of two, Paul encourages the Philippians in their suffering and then uh, follows that up with that beautiful Christ who are, you know, have this mind among you which was in Christ, who being in the form of God did not count it robbery to be equal but to God, but instead um, made himself of nothing, taking on the form of servant, being found in human form, uh, being humbled to the point of death and death upon a cross, right? So... Um, so Christ suffers, we, should, we can expect to suffer, if we expect to suffer and are in Christ, then our suffering is actually, um, it's actually for, our, for our good, not for our harm. All right, moving on then, uh, memory work for this week. From Philippians chapter 3 altogether, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. A catechism this week from the table of duties to workers of all kinds 
Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Um, and here, uh, as slaves, maybe, maybe we can understand this better as in terms of employer, like as employees, as workers, right? Uh, to workers of every kind, right? Um, so even, even when we find ourselves working uh, um, in, in any kind of job, right? Um, whether it be in the corporate world, in a factory, in a farm, uh, any sort of work, um, because we are Christians, every sort of work you could say is how we, can, how, we might, how we frequently talk about church work, right? So a lot of times we have something like, oh, I wanted to serve the Lord, so I became a Lutheran school teacher. I wanted to serve the Lord, so I became a pastor or an organist or a DCE, whatever. And that's true. But you're all Christians, right? So you don't have to be in church work to serve the Lord. If you want to be in church work, great. You need more of them, do it. Um, but if not, right, uh, it's not that you're somehow not serving the Lord, um, if you, if you work in a factory, if you work in a farm, right? Because uh, that's, that's what Paul tells the Ephesians there, right? Um, so this especially applies if you have bosses, right? Um, that we are to work diligently even when the boss isn't looking because we're not trying to please the boss first and foremost. Our allegiance isn't to the boss. Our allegiance is to God, right? So instead of working uh, in order to please the boss, remember that your slaves, your children of Christ, and so you do the will of God from your heart and serving wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward, please excuse my typo there, reward everyone for whatever good he was. Let us pray. O oh God, so rule and govern our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that ever mindful of your final judgment, we may be stirred up to holiness of living here and dwell with you in perfect joy hereafter. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So let's do just a little bit of review from last week. Last week we discussed, well, it was just last week, right? I'll tell you what, a week with the youth makes last week feel like a month ago. Not that the youth are bad, it's just, it was a very, it was a very busy week. It was a good week, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So last week, uh, since we talked about collect four, uh, and we have a collect here in front of us, uh, who can remind me what are the five parts of the collect? Let's start, let's just take them in order with a marker that works. First one, does anyone remember? I think I heard it. Address, all right? Second part, rationale, why are we doing this, right? Third part, petition, what we're actually asking for. Fourth part, expected result, intended result. I think I heard both of those out there somewhere very quietly. 
And part number five, yeah, closing or termination. All right, so let's take a look at the collect for the day here. We had it in church this morning, we have it here. Uh, what's the address? Oh God, very, about as simple, straightforward of an address as you can have. And as we'll see by, um, when we consider the termination, God here refers specifically to which person of the Holy Trinity? The Father. All right? Because uh, remember, uh, we're praying through Jesus Christ, your Son, right? So we're praying to the Father. All right, what's the rationale? Uh-oh, this call doesn't follow the form. There is no rationale in this one. Why? I don't know. I didn't write it. They didn't ask me. Um, so there is no rationale. Remember, rationale and sometimes intended results are left out for whatever reason. Uh, it does create some, some sort of, when you leave out the rationale, it does create, I think, a sense of urgency that is not otherwise present, right? And urgency is good, especially when we're considering the final judgment, right? Um, we don't know when that's going to be, and for each of us individually, death hastens it on even quicker, and we don't know what that will be. So uh, when is the time to be ready for the final judgment? Now, right? Uh, so I do think leaving out the rationale uh, creates a sense of urgency, which is good for the subject matter of the public. So, Jumping to the petition, uh, what is the petition? I think I kind of heard it scattered quietly. Oh, 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 just stop there. Usually the word that indicates that we're uh, in the intended result section. So, the petition is literally, so rule and govern our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit. That is what we are asking for. And why do we want our hearts and minds to be so ruled and governed by the Holy Spirit? Well, so, in order that what? And this gets to the intended result. So that we may, so that ever mindful of your judgment, we may be, so first of all, this is kind of, the clause doesn't ask for it, uh, uh, the, the phrase isn't really, isn't really phrased this way, but it is implicitly there that the first thing the Holy Spirit is doing by ruling and governing us is making us ever mindful of the final judgment. And since he's doing that, then he's also then stirring us up to holiness of living here on earth, and then also that we may dwell with you in perfect joy hereafter, right? So those are the results, right? Mindful of the judgment, holiness of living on earth, uh, life with Christ, life with the Father, and everlasting life. That's why we want the Father to send us, to rule and govern us by His Holy Spirit. Alright? And then we have a, and then because we're not in the middle of a prayer office, we have a full termination. Um, so, Theoretically, you could have plumped the word same in the termination in front of the word Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was referenced previously in the colic. We know what's happening, though. Uh, any questions about the colic, the form of this colic? Colics in general? Very good. All right. Did I see someone's hand up a moment ago? 
All right, so we're going to keep moving on to the liturgy, but before that, uh, run through announcements here real quick. Um, so I have an announcement on here. So um, I think floor committee open meetings are on Saturday already. Or no, they're on Friday, maybe. Uh, the convention, the LCMS National Convention, this nautical convention, is taking place starting this, the end of this week. So it's this Friday through next Thursday. Uh, and they need volunteers. Uh, and so uh, if you want to go up to Milwaukee and volunteer uh, for the Senate Convention, you can find a sign-up link in the bag. There's a sign-up genius link. Uh, there are morning, afternoon, and evening shifts. I think Beth Hahn said she has volunteered to go up and volunteer at the convention. I don't know exactly what volunteers do. I've never been to a convention. They probably help make sure people like me, who are supposed to vote on things, wind up in the room where you vote on things. Um, so I don't think... Food service. Oh, I suppose so. Alright, food service. Yeah. Alright, yeah, Tom. Alright, so, if you, if you, if you, that's, yes, there is something you could do, alright. You might be an usher at the opening service. Do you know anything about that? Is, do you know who's preaching that? Or, probably, well, Harrison's probably preaching. I don't know who the chaplain is. Well, I think Sean Fenton is probably the chaplain. Alright, so, but anyway, um, for you especially, if you go and volunteer, the Sydney Convention is probably a really super fun time. Like, you don't have to read the 400-page uh, workbook uh, before you go. Uh, you don't have to, like, try to figure out what resolutions are actually trying to accomplish. So... I think it'd be a blast. And, and then also, finally, I don't think there's anything going on in the NPR this week. So um, after Bible study, let's make sure we get the tables on the rack, the chairs on the racks, and get them into the closet at the conclusion of Bible study today. Um, all right, so I'll we'll give a quick rundown of higher things. Um, they'll probably end up taking a lot of Bible class hour, but that's fine. Um, how many, we have a number of parents who sent their kids to higher things this week. Several of you went. Um, so, so Higher Things, if you weren't aware, it's a youth conference put on. So Higher Things is an organization. It's a recognized service organization of the LCMS. Um, and they, I think they organized in 2000 to be a way to help pastors and parents um, catechize, catechize children, right? So they, they frequently have emphases on the small catechism. Um, and so, part of, so they do lots of things. Um, most, for most youth, especially in high school, the way, they, uh, the way they encounter higher things is through one of their youth conferences that they do in the summer. Uh, they do a lot more than that, right? So higher things produces things like Bible studies. They actually produce a vacation Bible school. They have daily reflections, right? So you can download a little reflections written by a Lutheran pastor uh, on a Bible text. Uh, it's a great little devotional material every day of the year, uh, every day of the church here. You will have to learn one-year lectionary terminology because they use words like septuagesima, but that's okay. Even if you're on the other three-year church like Bethany, the, the, the reflections are still great. Uh, what else? Um, oh, they have retreats. So they have their big conferences um, during, during the summer, but they have smaller retreats throughout the year hosted at LCMS churches. I've never been to one. Usually it seems like there are churches and schools and everyone like sleeps on the, on the gym floor overnight and it's... Incredibly uncomfortable, but really fun. 
The only time I went to a retreat was when I was in college, in the one church down the street of Hosted I went, I went for the day and went back to my, went back to my bed in my dorm for the, for the night. Uh, so they do all that sort of thing. Um, they have a lot of online video content addressing any number of topics, right? So there's all sorts of things facing our youth. They have numerous pastors producing content, uh, videos on things like social media, but they, um, so they, they, they do kind of try to stay where the youth are on social media for obvious reasons. Um, so they have a lot of presence on like Instagram these days and maybe TikTok, I don't know. I'm not on TikTok, so I wouldn't know. Um, when I was a kid, they were all over Facebook and YouTube, and they are still on Facebook and YouTube, but, but it's not really, believe it or not, Facebook is for old people. That's what they tell me anymore, which means I'm old, because I'm on Facebook. Um, so 10 years ago when I was a youth, Facebook was all the rage. Um, um, so they do all sorts of stuff. Um, so the conference, though, is always, they're always held on college campuses, uh, which is nice because it kind of, it does help keep costs lower when you can house students in dorms or, uh, and, and use college dining service instead of having to pay for things like hotels and restaurants for meals. Um, and I think they've been doing, I think the first conference was like, the theme was like Dare to be Lutheran. It was in like 2000. Um, so my first experience with Higher Things was in 2012 at a conference at uh, Northwestern Missouri State University. The conference theme was 12, and they talked a lot about the apostles. I also went to um, a conference on baptism in 2013. The, the theme was from above, and it was at Purdue. And I haven't been to Higher Things since 2013 until this year. And so the conference that we went to this week was at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, and the theme was Beyond Reasonable Doubt. Um, and so the theme of the conference was, you might say broadly speaking, apologetics. Uh, the idea of defending the faith, uh, but also, uh, so the apologetic portion, properly speaking, was, uh, was, was largely addressed in the plenary sessions by, uh, by Dr. Francisco. Uh, he spoke on the uh, historicity uh, of the resurrection, right? That it is actually provable historical fact. Um, and he also did a really great, like, 50-minute primer on, on the history of philosophy, uh, which I thought was really, really good. I enjoyed it. Uh, and then, so, uh, and then the other plenary speaker was a guy, a pastor from Iowa. His name is Harrison Goodman. Um, and his, his presentation was specifically on doubt. What happens... Uh, when you are a Christian and you doubt. Because that's scary, right? Because uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe your faith is stronger than mine, but, but I definitely have moments of doubt. Usually, when I'm in the middle of doing my pastoral work. That's just how it happens, right? Um, and so he had a lot of, he addressed that, right? Um, and I thought that was very good, right? That, that doubt, obviously, uh, it's a first commandment sin, right? But uh, because it's a first, doubt is not the same thing as unbelief, right? And so doubt then is a sin that Jesus has died for, that we confess, that we receive forgiveness for, uh, that we receive strengthening from through the word and the sacraments, that there is actually, uh, that there are actually way, healthy ways uh, to deal with doubt as Christians. We don't have to pretend that we don't ever doubt, right? Which I think is sometimes the trap we fall into. So I thought all of that was really good. So uh, 
So higher faiths kind of has a three-pronged, a three, uh, there's kind of three aspects of the conference. Uh, the most important and the, mo the central aspect of a higher things conference is actually worship, right? So life in the chapel. Uh, so there's a lot of youth conferences that you would go to, even like, you know, not to speak against it, but even the National Youth Gathering, where because of the size of the conference, uh, cost of space, um, their teaching presentations and their worship services all happen at the very same place, right? So the, the chancel gets, uh, gets uh, taken down and the speaking stage, it turns into a speaking stage and the concert stage. It's all happening in the, in the same spot, out of by necessity. Higher things, because it's smaller scale, although a thousand youth is still pretty cool. It's not that small, but it is much smaller scale. Uh, they aren't gonna, they don't have their plenaries in the same space as, as they have the worship services. So they'll set aside the theater or whatever space is most conducive, and that is the chapel for the week, right? The, the altar is there, the crucifix is there. Uh, that space is for the purpose of, of chapel services. So on higher things, the conference begins and ends with divine service, so receiving the gifts of Christ through the sacraments of the altar. Um, and then each day, there's also, um, so each day in the middle then starts on a, a matins or morning prayer, first thing in the morning, um, vespers shortly after lunch, evening prayers, seven or eight, and then, um, and then this is in the, in, the, in the chapel, but then theoretically then each group ends the day with the service of Compton led by the pastor or group leader. Somewhere around campus, probably closer to the dorms, um, right before bed. So that's, to keep in count, it's four, four prayer offices, four services a day. Um, and that really is what gives shape. That's what gives shape to life uh, at, at a higher things conference, which is in a lot of ways markedly similar to if you were to visit, visit the seminary. Uh, life in the chapel, right? Gather around God's gifts of word and sacrament. That is what gives shape to our day, our week, because that's what really gives shape to the Christian, to the Christian life. And that's um, that's true for you even if you only go to church once a week. Uh, but it's but it is magnified when you're in a place where you can where you can go and hear the liturgy, sing hymns, hear preaching four times a day. That that does have an impact. Uh, so that's the first thing, and and it, I, I've got to say. I'm always, I love going to, I would go, if there were no teaching, if there's nothing else, I'd go to go sit in the chapel every four times a day with a thousand other people um, because these kids aren't timid like most of our congregations. They sing, they sing loudly, right? So it is really amazing that you have a thousand youth. So during the week, we sing, if thou would trust in God to guide thee. And you couldn't hear yourself hardly sing for the thousand people behind you belting it out. We always sat toward the front, um, right? So uh, it's just absolutely marvelous. Um, so so that's that's great. And and kids aren't actually afraid of the liturgy. Like I think we, we realize that here at Bethany. But but something that you've maybe heard is that kids are afraid. They can't do the liturgy. They don't like it. It's hard. And usually the adults saying that aren't saying what the kids think. They're saying what they think. I think the liturgy is uninteresting. I think it's fine. Uh, but the kids love it. They, uh, they, they devour it. They, 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 they're all, they're all about it. So, uh, so that and the preaching and higher things is always great. They get top tier, top tier guys delivering sermons.
Um, the second aspect is the teaching. Teaching is separated into two types of teaching. So there's plenary sessions that literally everyone in the conference goes to. There's four of those usually done by two different speakers. So each speaker does two of those sessions. And then there are five breakout sessions. So there will be like eight or ten breakouts offered at, at a time. And then everyone, and then you get to pick which one you go to. And they're on, usually kind of fitting in with the theme of the conference, but they're on a variety of topics, right? So um, you see my handwriting. My attempt, any attempt at, uh, that I have at drawing is even worse, right? I'm, and, and I love Christian art. I love learning about it. Uh, and I'm actually kind of sad I didn't do it, right? So like, obviously, examining art is one of my interests. Producing art is not. Uh, but we have we have some we have kids who are from Bethany who are like super into art, and so they got to go to a sectional on on art. Uh, and, and maybe I'm more interested in the college professor who who talks about who like shoots a whole list of citations from the Lutheran confessions at me about uh, how the scriptures are sufficient for for faith and doctrine, right? Very very academic, folk, right? Um, so it's great you don't have to try to fit into someone else's box you know, when you're picking up uh, picking uh, picking some of these sessions to go to. So that was that was great. So there were five of those. Um, so I. I got to drive the van with all the girls. Cantor Spike got to drive the boys. I don't know how that happened, but so it did, right? So that's how it goes. So it's it's me. I, there are my van holds seven. There are seven people in my van. I am the only guy. That's okay. But it was fun, right? Uh, on the way home, I got to ask I got to ask the girls about their what they which which sessions they they liked, which breakouts they went to, what their favorite was, um, and that, that is super helpful, right? And, and getting them to to help them engage right in something that they're specifically interested in. So there's worship, there's teaching, and the third, the third aspect of a Higher Things conference is uh, fun or recreation. There's all sorts of stuff they do. Um, so we have, I don't know if you, um, so the Fox Boys aren't here today, they ran off to Wyoming right away. Um, they didn't go to painting, not surprising, because there was volleyball and soccer and Bumper ball, right? Where I didn't even play. Like you get in these big balls and like try to play soccer and you run into each other, right? Uh, but then there were also things like you could go and paint or make sculptures or you could go bowling or you could go play pool or you could play laser tag, all sorts of things to do, right? Um, right? Because we're not we're not here simply to we're not we're not pretending to be to be a college or something where we where we we don't. It's not like we want to take these kids and have them learn and not have any fun and hate their life over there. Uh, right, that was, I wouldn't want to take kids to a conference like that, right? Uh, so, so they had also, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm probably missing half the other things they had available um, during, during the free hours. So, uh, so I, thought, I thought the conference was very beneficial. I learned a lot there. I'm sure our youth learned a lot. Uh, youth that are here, parents, anyone else that went, anything else I missed, anything else anyone wants to add about, about higher things this week? Did anyone of you did, you, did you parents, did you actually, so uh, on the way back, I sent the parents an email, it's like, hey, you should actually talk to your kids about the conference and make them, you know, make them articulate some of the stuff they did. Uh, first of all, that helps it stick for them if they have to talk about it. Second of all, it's just good for parents, um, it's good for parents um, to, to have the, for these discussions that begin at a place like Higher Things to actually uh, make their way into the home, which is actually kind of the goal. Anything anyone wants to add? Yeah, Mrs. Aurelio.
Pastor, yeah, Pastor Brett Woolman preached a sermon like this, and then uh, CID President Michael Moore gave us greetings from the stage and articulated this too. He's like, for us at Bethany, it's probably, we probably deal with this less than some other kids, right? I mean, I mean, we took 11 kids to this conference from Bethany. We had any number of other kids that, based on schedule or whatever, could have theoretically gone, right? So we have, we have a decent crew of, of Missouri City kids here. There are a number of kids that they come to this conference and their group is like a boy and his dad. And this boy is the youth at his church that's out in like the middle of nowhere in Western Nebraska or something, right? Uh, so the pastor Kulin preached the sermon, right? So the text was Isaiah, like, not Isaiah, Elijah. When he fled into the cave, he's like, oh God, I only I am left. Everyone else is worshiping Baal. And God's like, God's like, knock it off. Uh, I have reserved for myself 7,000 that have not yet bent the knee to Baal. Brett uh, Kuhlman in a, one of the whatever Vespers sermon he preached. Uh, he's like, maybe you think I only I am and what's left in the LCMS. I am the only youth who loves God. He's like, knock it off. <laughs> he's like, look around. And even like, he's like, yeah, there are a thousand others here. And this is by no means the, the extent of a faithful youth, right? So, uh, but that is an encouragement, right? Because uh, I was thought, you know, I was thinking about that text before he preached. I was like, you know, it is, it is interesting because we get a snapshot of what Elijah thinks. But like Elijah's like getting revelation from God. I mean, maybe Elijah sees the worst of it, right? But like, think about being one of the other seven thousand scattered throughout Israel, right? They probably felt pretty alone too. Who knows what their their reaction was? Yes, Elena, Elena. Some of the boys tried to get lost. There's danger when you go on trails if you don't stay with the trail guide and run ahead and think, think you're going to make it on your own. I remember I got to the end of the trail. It's like a three-mile trail, like, like down into like this, like down into the middle of this canyon and then back up. So I'm, feel, I'm like, I'm pretty tired. I get to the top and I was like, I'm assuming everyone's just ahead of me and made it. And then so I walk out and they're like, oh, where, where are the boys? They're not here. <laughs> so the three mile trail turned into like a four and a half mile trail as I journeyed back in with uh, Dr. Francisco looking, looking for the lost. It's like the shepherd. Uh, what shepherd among you does not leave the, uh, the other eight youth and adults and go to search out, and go to search out the three? 
Anything else? Any questions from anything else that uh, attendees want to add? Anything? Anything that any of you? Any questions you have about higher things or our week? Maybe if you ask real nicely one of these days, Dr. Francisco can give his higher things presentations here. The, the, the one on the facticity of the resurrections, I, that was outstanding. I thought that was very well done. Uh, and I think it'd be good for, for all of you to hear it too. I don't know if it's recorded, we could just drop you a link. But. So, and since we have one of the presenters here, it's not even like we have to like go, you know, contact him and like beg him to come speak and like tell him to give him a place to stay or something. All right, so we don't have a, we have ten minutes left. That, that's probably enough time to do the creed, the Nicene Creed, or continuing in the liturgy. And it's almost August, and I'm not going to be here next week, so we're going to have to like do the service of the sacrament in like one or two weeks, but that's okay. We'll get it done. Um, so so we, last, last week we talked about collects, uh, we talked about lectionaries. One thing I didn't mention was the idea that, so before the gospel is what we call the Alleluia, sometimes the Alleluia and verse. Recognizing that the gospel, right, uh, all the Bible is, the, uh, is breathed out by God. It is the inspired and error word of God, useful for training, for teaching, for rebuke, for reproof, training in righteousness, making the man of God complete. Completely, right? But there is a pride of place that the words and deeds of God made flesh our Lord Jesus Christ has, right? And so we stand for the reading of the Holy Gospel, and we sing Alleluia's before it. And sometimes if we have a choir... Um, it's actually the Alleluia and verse. On e we sing the Alleluia twice, and in between, the choir will sing a little bit. And usually, that's a snippet. Usually, like, maybe you might say the most important line. You know, maybe the theme uh, of the gospel. Right? It kind of helps you help, helps you key in on what the gospel is going to be about when you get the punchline before the joke. Right? Uh, uh, and since the gospel is not a joke, it's not ruining anything by giving you the the theme before before the reading of the gospel itself. So we're standing for the gospel. We acclaim the gospel with uh, glory be to thee, O Lord, and praise be to thee, O Christ. Um, sometimes, uh, if you're paying attention, um, so the pastor who reads the gospel, so if this, if this is a book of the gospels that some publishing houses produce, at the beginning of the gospel reading, there will be a cross printed. So it is customary, well, you say, the holy gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter, that the, that, the, that the reader of the gospel will actually take his thumb and trace the sign of the cross on the first word of the gospel reading. You'll also perhaps see sometimes people, while the gospel is being introduced, to make, especially the, the reader of the gospel, to make with his thumb to make the cross on his forehead, on his lips, and on his heart, and to silently pray during that, Christ be on my mind, on my lips, and in my heart. Um, which is especially appropriate for those who read the gospel aloud and also those who hear the gospel, right? Um, that the point of the gospel is, I mean, we're not doing any of this just as a formality, but that, that this actually, um, that this actually uh, becomes a part of us, right? The words and the deeds of the Christ actually then um, actually have effect on our lives. So after the reading of the gospel then, uh, we say the creed. Um, and, and since we have divine service every week, we say the Nicene Creed uh, every week. Um, so the development of the Nicene Creed, so I, maybe I mentioned uh, before, that creeds tend to be born out of controversy or out of heresy. Uh, it, it's the same with the Lutheran confessions. In some ways, those are like very long creeds because they're statements of belief. That, right, the word creed 
It's from the Latin credo. And the Latin credo, the Latin word credo simply means I believe. Uh, so credo in unum, like credo is just the first word of the creed. Credo in unum deum, I believe in one God. All right, so, um, sorry, uh, so same with Lutheran confessions, right? The Augsburg Confession, the Apology, even the Catechisms, small called treatise, formula, are all coming out of controversy. We are articulating and clarifying what we believe because there are people who are teaching and uh, confessing false things, right? So we believe against, we believe this in opposition to this over here that someone else says they believe. Um, so the Nicene Creed, what we call the Nicene Creed, was actually kind of adopted in two parts. Uh, the first part of the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, 325. Uh, someone that knows history will correct me. Is Edict of Milan 313 or 309? 13, I thought, okay. So before 313, uh, Christianity was not a legalized, rec uh, legally recognized religion. Uh, it was there, it was spreading, but it was officially not recognized by the Roman Empire. Therefore, it was, um, Christians are accused of things like, um, they would say, atheism. And by atheism, they don't mean like they don't believe in a god. By atheism, they mean they don't believe in the Roman gods, uh, right? So they are against the Roman theism, right? So. And they're also, because of the sacrament of the altar, they're, opposed, or they're uh, accused of being cannibals, right? Because they claim to eat the flesh and blood of a man. Christians do. Uh, but, but one of the effects of the church before the Edict of Milan, uh, so, so right now, if I, wanna, if I want to get together and partner up with a church to do some event, let's say in California, Let's, make, let's say I want to partner up and do something with a church in Germany. Um, it's not risky for me to send them a letter and just outright state what I'm thinking, right? Because what I'm doing is not considered illegal. Christianity is, you know, it's not official state religion here. And, uh, only a, only a, a terrible, uh, not actually Lutheran, a form of Lutheranism is state religion in Germany. Uh, but anyway, right? So, so I communicating with Christians across the world uh, is is pretty pretty much not risky for me. I'm not I'm not going to be facing persecution if I walk around dressed like a pastor and go see other pastors down the street the next day over the next country over whatever, right? Uh, when when Christianity in the known world is illegal, though, what happens? Uh, is that it makes it very hard for Christians to communicate with each other, right? Uh, and what happens when there's not communication is uh, people, it's not that the church is falling apart and all of it's falling into heresy, but people end up saying things, articulating things differently, doing things differently, and yes, never really know it, because if I'm in, let's say I, let's say I live in Milan, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't have much contact with the church in Jerusalem. Right? So things are going to be happening differently. So Constantine comes along. Maybe you know the, the story of uh, Constantine and Helena. Uh, you know, that he, that he puts crosses on his men's uniforms and goes into battle and they win. And so he converts. The 313 cites the edict of toleration. So Christianity is not like the religion of the empire in 13. It's just no longer legally a Christian. Uh, but because of that, Christians are able to start communicating with each other, right? 
And what happens when they start communicating with each other is that they find that they've been articulating things differently. Uh, in some cases, there's even points of doctrine that have been articulated differently, maybe believed differently. Uh, things are getting, there's all sorts of then um, uh, mismatch practice, things that others are trying to condemn, and things are, things are getting pretty dicey because now we can talk to each other. Uh, so Constantine sees this happening. He's like, you guys got to sort this out. So in 325, Emperor Constantine assembles the Council of Nicaea. Uh, you get Christian bishops from all over, from all over the, the Roman world come to Nicaea to hash things out. And a particular thing they were dealing with at the Council of Nicaea, among other things, um, was, was a heresy called Arianism. Now, uh, Arius was a priest, he was a bishop, he was a priest, and his known teaching was that he confessed that there was a time before Christ was begotten, so that uh, Christ is not eternal, that he's not eternally God, and he is less God than the Father. All right, so their kind of their mantra was, there was when he was not. Uh, so that means God, um, and so, and that is quite clearly uh, not what we believe, right? Uh, we believe that the second person in the Trinity, Christ, is eternal, right? So they get together and hash this out, and they, they eventually, uh, they condemn Arius, they exile him, uh, uh, they excommunicate him. Uh, but in order to have a statement of the right teaching concerning the Son and his relationship to the Father, they write down what we know as the first two articles of the Nicene Creed. Uh, and there's, of, of course, all sorts of accounts of what's happening at the Council of Nicaea because... Uh, because the language that they end up using uh, is pretty loaded language, and they were trying to avoid using it. But uh, so, you know, they were they, they talk about how they're formulating the creed of the areas or figuring out how they can wiggle their teaching around around these words that they're using, like you know, God of God, light from light, very God from very God. Oh, yeah, we believe all that. It's just that Christ wasn't eternally light from light uh, until they say this particular one, being of one substance with the Father. Substance was a loaded word. Uh, um, but with the word, when they use the word substance, essence, usia, right, is the Greek word, uh, then the Arians could not agree with it. And this is what uh, the Orthodox teaching that, that, that excludes Arianism from, um, from the Orthodox, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So they have the article of the Father, the article of the Son, uh, and, and it kind of just ends, and we believe in the Holy Spirit on that. Right, like uh, the original Nicene Creed from 325 doesn't have much to say about the Holy Spirit because at that point the doctrine of the Holy Spirit was not under attack. The doctrine of the Son and His relationship to the Father was so. This long creed, you know, um, from thence He shall come again to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I think that's not much, but not much. Uh, fast forward to 381, Council of Constantinople. Uh, the Holy Doctrine of the Holy Spirit has been very much under attack by them. Uh, the same things they were saying about the Son, that He's not eternally God, well, the Holy Spirit's also not eternally God. So you have guys like the Cappadocian Fathers, um, Basil, Gregory, uh, and then Gregory Nazianzen, uh, Gregory of Nyssa and Gregory of Nazianzen, uh, defend the Holy, the teaching of the Holy Spirit, right? I think Basil's really important on this. Uh, and and because they, so there's another council convenes at Constantinople this time, and this is where the third article of the Creed, of the Nicene Creed, comes from, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord 
I think we I think we pause in the wrong place. I think we should say, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, and giver of life. Not because it's not simply he's the Lord and giver of life, but he is the Lord. And then also you get uh, in 381, you only get who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. The uh, the Filioque is another controversy that comes along later after 1000 uh, in the West. But anyway, who uh, with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified and spoke by the prophets. And then all the stuff on the church. The other fun thing about the historical documents of these creeds is it also like contains the list of everyone who's condemned. And this is condemned. Those who believe this. And those who say there was a time when he was not are condemned. And those who say this other thing are condemned. I really think we should think that back and say all that in the nonsense. But no one, no one else has seemed to think that that's an amazing idea yet. Uh, so, that is where, so that's where these creeds come from. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is a little hard to trace. But, so what we really confess, you might call uh, the niceno Constantinopolitan Creed from 325-381. But anyway, um, so that's, that's the source of these creeds. And, and the Nicene Creed especially does become a defining document for what it means to be a, uh, an orthodox confessor of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Which is why in the third article, you do also get the confession of the church. And, and, it, and it does say, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And some people say, oh, that's little C Catholic. I think it could be big C Catholic, because I don't think we should let the Roman Catholics have the big C on Catholic. The big C belongs to the whole church. Right? Uh, uh, they, they need to denote themselves with the word Roman, or papist. They can have the word papist, they can have the word Roman. We are Catholic. We are, we have the faith as it's been universally confessed through the ages. Uh, we, we shouldn't let them steal that from us. Uh, when I was ordained, I was not ordained as a pastor in the one holy church or something. Pastor has to be said in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, right? Um, we can't let them have the fun. Uh, but yeah, so the Nicene Creed, right? And, and, and the Nicene Creed, to a certain extent, is what kind of defines whether or not you're a Christian or not, whether or not you confess this. I mean, right, because it's simply confessing what the Bible says. So adherence to the Nicene Creed is kind of what most Christian denominations have in common. I'm not think it's too different. The, East, the Eastern Church hates the fact that we say, and the Son, concerning procession of the Holy Ghost. They probably don't care as much as they used to. But, um, but uh, this, the Nicene Creed as it is, so that is why we say it in every divine service. Um, what's really handy is in the bulletin at Bethany, uh, you can look and it gives the scripture references for why we say every little line we say, right? We're not making any of this up. This is all, this is all drawn from the scriptures. Every, every last word of it. Right? Any, anything on the creed before we call it quits for today? Yeah, Harvey. Say what you don't believe, or if someone says maybe for deeds, not creeds, right? So they're 
What normally what they're against is Christians who are particular on doctrine uh, and, and what they perceive to be as a detriment to living a holy Christian life. Right? So that church doesn't do any good. They don't they don't really live like Christians. They just they just want to make sure they have their doctrine right. But we don't care about the people. We want people to know by our deed, right? Uh, which is a false dichotomy. Completely false dichotomy. Uh, those two things are by no means mutually exclusive. You can care about uh, right and pure doctrine and also see the importance that you actually, you know, walk according to the calling to which you've been called, right? Uh, you don't have to pick one or the other. Sure. Yeah. Great. Yeah, absolutely. What's really notable is in Revelation, those words get put on Jesus' lips. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. Yeah. All right, we gotta we gotta call it quits for today. I will see you all in church.